Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 107. Now, a little while back, I was in uh, our Lotox Club group and our eCourse alumni for the major course, Go Lotox, and I popped a little um, status update saying, hey guys, I'm going to be having Dr. Lewis Ehrlich on the podcast soon. And, uh, and I just wondered whether anyone had any questions that you wanted me to ask him uh, about uh, holistic oral health. You know, some people are confused about what to do, um, some people having issues and they don't understand the root cause and all sorts. And because I thought I would be interviewing him on, um, on a couple of things that I had kind of already decided, but the amount of FAQs that came, um, and the amount of questions rather that came up in the thread, like in the space of minutes, everyone was like, ah! and so I was like, oh my gosh, I think we need to do a frequently asked questions on holistic dental health. Uh, because we have a situation where, you know, uh, a lot of people are confused about the, the fluoride piece. And, uh, what I like about Lewis is he isn't a purist uh, in terms of, being completely uh, natural, non-fluoride all the time um, because there are some cases where it is topically essential uh, in his view. And, um, and I think, you know, it's really important in these discussions when, you know, parts of the world say this, other parts of the world say that, it's really important that we have um, a look at where the common ground is, where the research is at and who the patient is in front of that person at that time and what they need. Uh, you know, I see so many people think, oh, my gosh, I was told I needed to use fluoride. Like, can you believe, uh, you know, the dentist? And it's like, well, may- maybe in your case that's actually going to be important. So um, while it's not a 100% fluoride discussion, absolutely, we talk about so many things because the the questions that came through were um, far and wide. So what I did was I grouped them up into a few sections. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about tooth enamel. It seems there are many children being born these days with enamel issues. And, uh, you know, we talk about preconception health, the importance of preconception health, Heck, me and Steph have built a a course for you guys on preconception health, if that's where you're at in life, to get your nutrients high, sky high, um, so that you can... um, so you can be ready to build nice, big, strong, resilient babies with all their teeth and bones intact. Um, you know, the, it's interesting to see how much it comes back to preconception health. Now, this isn't to make people feel guilty. There's always something we can do to move, you know, like I didn't know half of this, the low-tox stuff especially. I was still using a mainstream toothpaste until my son was about one. Um, but, uh, you know, Lewis talks as much about what you can do if you're at preconception phase as well as what we, what the options are now if you've already got a situation of bad enamel. So we have a whole lot of questions on enamel. Then we've got a whole lot of questions today on instruments, apparati, apparatuses, procedures, um, and cosmetic dentistry. Um, so there we're going to be talking about like myobraces, Invisalign, um, metal braces, also going to be talking about root, root canals and, and those sorts of things. And then because there were so many questions, I've actually put this into a part two. So those are the two main que- sections we're going to focus on today. 
Um, and then next, uh, in about two, three weeks' time, we're going to have a part two. And on that show, we're going to talk fillings and cavity protection. We're going to talk preventative oral health, um, which, to be fair, we kind of talk about today as well because when it comes to enamel, there's a lot of preventative stuff we can do to um, change the enamel picture. Um, but also troubleshooting some miscellaneous questions around grinding and um, uh, all sorts of questions. Like I'm, I'm looking at them now, mouth taping for kids, like can you do it, is it okay? Um, love to know more about breathing, small jaws, crowded jaws. So many different questions came through. Chromogenic bacteria, I learnt so much. I feel like <laughs> maybe I'll become a dentist. No, don't worry. I'm not quitting my day job, but suffice it to say, we went, um, we went deep and we went wide with these questions. So today, enjoy the show on, um, enamel instruments, apparatus, procedures, cosmetic dentistry. And, uh, we kind of talk about nutrition and lifestyle, sleeping and, um, nose and mouth breathing intermittently through all of these questions, because it just keeps coming down to some really basic um, and recurring themes on what produces great teeth. And we need great teeth because we literally need to chew our food and get the nutrients. So they're very important to us. Enjoy um, the chat when it comes about. But I just want to remind you that Walida is our show supporter this week. One more week and you have 20% off. This is for the Aussies, by the way. Um, 20% off and free shipping, $29.95 or more on your order. So um, it doesn't um, include things like packs or special offers that already exist on the site, but it's all regular full-priced items. Um, please, if you haven't tried the Rose Face Creams, they are delicious. Anyone sort of up to 50 years old, um, I'm 42, nearly 43, and um, they are just a, a, a skin care that I will always replace when it's empty. And there's not many that I do that with. Um, often I'm just trying new things all the time to fill our course with as many uh, great options as possible. Uh, but that Walita Rose Smoothing Rose Face Cream is something I come back to again and again. My skin loves it. So enjoy that. Enjoy all the other goodies. If you're into homeopathics and things like Arnica, uh, then they have an amazing range of those sorts of um, products as well on there, things that you don't always find in a health food store. So it's nice to head to the website and make the most of an offer like this and stock up, um, especially if you've got kids who do sport. There should be some Arnica cream and Arnica pillules in your handbag. Um, and that's not selling anything. That's just me, how I grew up. Being French, Arnica is like the first thing that's whipped out, whipped out of the handbag as soon as there's a bump or a, um, a bump or a bruise. So enjoy uh, again one more week of Fabulous Walida. Thank you so much to everybody who listened last week and has started to write reviews for my book online. I so appreciate it. Um, and uh, if you didn't catch last week's show, basically I was just saying I would so appreciate it if you jump online and write a review where you got my book, whether it's Amazon.com for the US peeps, whether it's Amazon.co.uk for everybody over in Europe, um, or whether it's um, the Australian Amazon.com.au or Booktopia um, or Book Depository or Dimix or Angus and Robinson, wherever you bought your book from, um, I would so, so appreciate an online review because it helps 
me get the message out there to more people um, when they see, oh, wow, there's like 25-star reviews on there. It must be a half-decent book. And it's just easier for people to trust things. I know that's how I trust things that I haven't come across before. Um, Reviews mean a lot to me in my purchasing. So uh, I really, really appreciate everybody who started doing that. It's been beautiful to read them too. So thank you so, so much. Enjoy today's chat with Lewis. Hello, Lewis. How are you? Good, Alex. How are you? I'm super well, thank you, and uh, very excited to to go through this monster FAQ list that I have for you today. Um, and as I said in the intro for background, um, basically I put this to both the Lotox club members and alumni in the e-course and said, right, you know, a lot of you guys have been doing natural things for a while or you still have a ton of questions that really only a dentist can answer. And what's awesome about you is you've really got one foot in traditional dentistry camp having been through the entire um, uh, dental uh, training that you you have to go through to be a dentist, but you also have that wonderful holistic um, angle to to how you try and approach things. But what I especially love is your 80-20 approach where sometimes you do need to pull out the big guns for certain things or certain people. And, um, and it's not about a purist kind of, oh my gosh, you've totally failed as a human if you have to use topical fluoride or, you know, and I think that's really important that people, um, trying, trying to make any kind of changes don't feel like they're a failure if they have to do something mainstream. I think that's a, a failing in, moving us forward as, as far and, and happily as we can, can go. So, whew, um, let's have a chat first about, I mean, I know you obviously have your dad and your uncle who, who founded the Sydney Holistic Dental Centre, but obviously young dudes don't always tend to flow, follow in their, um, in the footsteps of their dads and their uncles and sometimes want to be a bit renegade and do things differently or go, you know, you could have quite have easily have gone, oh, you guys are just doing all that hippie BS side of dentistry and I'm not into that at all. What for you as a human convinced you that holistic dentistry was where you wanted to then move into? Um, I just think it makes makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of people hear the word holistic and they kind of think, oh, it's a, you know, what what you just mentioned there. They kind of think, oh, it's a bit hippie. Yeah, but it's just common sense, really. Because so we're not, you know, we're not in there using incense and doing voodoo <laughs> stuff over people. It's it's more just like analysing the the person that's sitting in the chair and providing them with a service that's tailored to them based on their circumstances on that particular day that they're, that they're there. And if you, you know, the, the conventional model um, is kind of like a one-size-fits-all approach mm. uh, a little bit too far, um, you know, that way inclined. But also if you go really dogmatic with your holistic stuff as well, I think that you're also missing the boat because you're also bringing your own bias and dogmas into things when – at the end of the day, you need to tailor it to the person that's sitting in front of you. And so that's why holistic dentistry is really, really, you know, a really good way to practice, very interesting way to practice. And, you know, we're constantly learning all the time but um, and, and adjusting our treatment protocols, but that's part of the fun as well. Mm, yeah. And, um, and something that you sort of casually mentioned the last time I was in with um, Seb, because everybody, Lewis is my son's dentist, um, and uh, was that you you go and you watch your guru 
um, operate on people and consult. And, and I, I love that the constant expansion, but anyone who's always curious about how we can do things better is always my favorite type of person. Can you just walk me through, like, that's obviously not professionally required of you to keep, um, you know, I'm sure you have like points that you need to keep up in terms of like, um, uh, being able to still be a registered dentist every year, kind of like any health professional. But mm. what what um, drives you to keep learning and expanding your knowledge beyond what you already know? Well, I just think that, you know, you, you graduate dental school and then, you know, there are some people out there that go, well, I, I've passed all my exams, so I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, but really, that's they're your L plates, you know, and you just got to constantly keep keep learning because there's so, 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 so much to know and so many ways to help your patients. If, and if you, if you don't know about something, how do you know to think of that? So, I mean, for me, oh, whether it be, you know, going and watching a oral maxillofacial surgeon on, you know, a weekly or two weekly basis, I'll go in there and, you know, be a nurse for a day and watch them or, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the Australasian um, College of nu- Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. So I like to do courses through them to know about, you know, integrative medicine because there's connections between the mouth and overall health, obviously. And then, you know, things like... <laughs> Isn't that a crazy concept? <laughs> I know, I know. Who would have thought? But, um, yeah, and then I just do stuff. I'm, I've done, like, mini residencies through the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain because, you know, the the mouth and the way the teeth meet and headaches and neck aches and jaw aches can be coming from the the mouth mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't realize that and I've I'm doing my graduate diploma in implantology doing my graduate diploma in um orthodontics so it's just it's just constantly learning and it just makes your your career more satisfying and, and enjoyable to actually be thinking outside the box and you know for yourself, but also for your patients. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Um, and uh, there are so many questions that uh, the community have. So I guess I'd like to start on enamel because this was where people had the most amount of pain points. Um, and while obviously crappy enamel is not painful per se, it mm. really tends to, because it's a cos- there's a cosmetic aspect to it, and there's obviously, a, um, or, or correct me if I'm wrong here, a higher chance of getting cavities if you don't have really good protection around your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of people are concerned, especially what we're seeing uh, in our small control group of a couple of thousand people in this these private groups is children so not necessarily adults unless it's someone like my sister who was in hospital for six months as a baby with a throat tumor and therefore she had a lot of antibiotics a lot of um a lot of things that made her enamel not so great but can you give us a bit of an overview on why all of a sudden it seems like so many kids have terrible enamel if there are sort of several factors i guess that are coming up in the research yeah, so it is quite common. Um, a, a lot of enamel quality is influenced by the health of the child and the mother in, well, in utero, but also, you know, when you're actually, you know, you've had you've had your child. Mm. And I guess the I guess the thing that people kind of can't fathom, and I guess it's not really known in in the community, is that your enamel is actually forming while you're in uro. So at particular stages throughout 
the pregnancy, if there's like nutritional deficiencies or there's illnesses to the mother or what, what have you, mm. that can actually go through and and affect the enamel quality. So like for example, if you um, you know take the the baby teeth, mm -hmm. their development is actually between the sixth and eighth week mark and calcium. Out. Yeah, and calcification of the enamel, so actually a hardening of the enamel is completed by the 20th week. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, well, I was completely fine, but they forget that they were unwell for a period of time or had to take antibiotics, and it might just happen to be through during that time. And then mm -hmm. as a result, the, the child is presenting with baby teeth, which are affected. Or, and can you know, it be your preconception health that affects it as well, like a more general state of health? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, particularly nutrition, we need adequate in intake of calories, we need enough protein, we need vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, calcium and phosphorus mm -hmm. for proper tooth formation. And so like even if you think – so if you think about that, you need to load up because then you're going to have a, a great – They're going to suck it all out of you. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, th that's going to help, help form really strong teeth. And like, yeah. for example, during the – last trimester of pregnancy there's a significant amount of um the newborn sort of overall stores of calcium and phosphate phosphate that's when they're accumulated mm -hmm. so if you take preterm but like birth weights or like a you know premature birth um they're going to miss out on the accumulation of like things like calcium phosphate and d oh gotcha so do they do they make up for that in um preterm formulas and things to to kind of compensate that um, you might well, not I mean, know I that, that, but it'd be an interesting a, thing to look for. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Well, I guess it's a little bit of an, an un, unknown, but um, yeah, it's. I, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is that there's a lot of things that can happen through a pregnancy and before a pregnancy that can impact on the formation of teeth because it's not like a child's born and ta-da, there's teeth. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's actually forming, yeah. you know, well, well, well before then. Well, so. this is why I really like the interview we did in the Preconception Ninja course and so many people have loved that one and found it really useful because we talk about that preconception health and getting that sorted and the oral health implications in the preconception journey as well of the parent, never mind the baby's teeth forming. So it's a huge topic. Mm, it certainly is. You could t talk for a while on it. Yeah. So what are some of the other factors that um, that um, contribute to not such great enamel? Well, I mean, once they're, they're born, I mean, there can be things like, you know, that's when diet comes into it, oral hygiene comes into it, breathing quality comes into it. If you're drying your saliva out because you're breathing through your, your mouth, that's going to affect the ability for your enamel to stay strong and be protected through saliva. Right, because uh, a lot of uh, a couple of the comments that came through from the community were, we eat so well, we're completely low tox, um, but, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're still experiencing terrible enamel in their kids. So, um, so that's an interesting one that the whole mouth breathing piece is an important factor. Yeah, so saliva is just so important. Um, you know, the moment you eat something – then saliva come you know comes to the party and neutralizes the acid to make sure that your your teeth aren't going to 
break down, but also obviously the saliva is important for preparing the food bolus for mm-hmm. digestion. Remember, digestion starts in the mouth. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have kids that mouth breathing you know you collect them from the waiting room and they got their mouth mouth open they got this slack slack jaw we call it mm-hmm. um and you know that's a major reason for for dental decay in kids and also just keeping enamel strong and healthy but you know a lot of people don't sort of make that connection and then the other question is what what how do, how do you define a healthy diet because if you got 10 10 people in the ten sets of parents in the room they would all say a completely different thing mm, more than likely yeah I mean probably a little bit different in your community because they're quite switched on but there's still a huge discrepancy on what people consider to be a healthy diet yeah well I mean you know we still get so many kids being given whole grain snacks at recess and afternoon tea and not with anything else either like you could have a lovely sourdough bread with some good avocado on it and that does make a great snack but if you're just eating the starchy food on its own that's a nightmare for our mouths yeah 100 percent um and then it's the stickiness of it as well because Mm. we don't we don't want foods to be stuck on teeth for long periods of time because that creates an acidic environment and then you'll go through and get decay yeah yeah so in terms of like go-to snacks for kids then um, are we thinking like crunchy raw carrot sticks, celery sticks, cucumber sticks, dips, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, things like you know nuts and 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 what you just mentioned. Mm. Perfect. Awesome. And then obviously there's all these kids that have these um, uh, shoddy enamel situations, mm. um, and some people have been recommended tooth mousse. Um, but then you know in that situation sometimes you've then got a child with a dairy allergy, so they can't do the casein that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes people are recommended, um, gosh, fluoride um, and uh, all sorts. So, But tooth mousse seems to come up again and again, and I know you've had Seb do that, and mm. I actually found it to be a great product. And, look, it's not ideal. It's one of those 80-20 low-tox products, really, because there's propylene glycol in it and a couple of other things. But it's not toxic per se, especially as a topical treatment. Mm. And uh, it seems to me like it does far more good than bad. And so, you know, when you need to fix something, then you have to think big picture rather than dogmatic black and white has to be perfect, you know, um, based on my ideals kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. so I'm cool with it. Is that really one of the best go-tos out there for people? And what would the lady who's asked about the casein because of the allergy, what other things would you recommend to, um, to improve people's enamel? Yeah, so I, I think that there's in that question there's been there's so many. Of, sorry, <laughs> of, of, a, of a um you know a cod liver oil which is which is always good yes, and then loading yeah, up yeah. on foods that are high in vitamins A, D, E, and K. Yeah, we um, had the um the Arctic cod liver oil from Nordic Naturals sponsored the show last month, I think it was, or the month before. Um, and I'll pop the details for that one in the show notes again because. Um, you can get the um, international link and the Aussie link. Um, it's such a good product. I've been taking it for a little bit now. Um, and I love that there's the A and D in cod liver oil. So it, you really get a bit more bang for buck than one of the fish oils. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good thing to be taking. But, you know, you might even say like if it's just one or two teeth that are really affected mm. and there's a casein issue, that you know, that's when you might even consider just a, a topical fluoride to, to help you know, just apply on that section of the of the teeth and then 
just let it to soak, leave it to soak in, and mm. then you know that that might be a good option if you're trying to avoid, you know, if the alternative is to do nothing, mm. you got to subject your child to you know invasive dental treatment at a young age, which can potentially, although things have changed and gotten a lot better, you know, make them not really enjoy coming to the dentist, then I suppose that's a that's a win, and you know you got to weigh up the the pros and cons. But yeah, a lot of people. When it comes to the tooth moose, yeah, um, that's really good for like remineralizing the yes. tooth structure without the presence of decay. So, for example, you might have hypomineralized teeth, or you know, um, hypocalcification, or what have you, and that's a mineral problem. Mm-hmm. So, there's two two issues: there's a mineral problem, or there's a decay problem. Sometimes they cross over, um, but if it's just pure mineral a pure mineral issue and there's no evidence of decay then that's when tooth mousse has actually been shown to be really effective Um, whereas if it's a more of a decay problem both have been shown to be effective but um you know fluoride that's where like a topical fluoride comes into into play Mm -hmm. if there's hyper if there's mineral a mineral content problem in the tooth without any signs of decay then you know Tooth mousse is a good option. Yeah. And what do you think of, uh, you know, in the, just thinking about the lady with the casein um, allergic child, in those situations, can we, by introducing it in a more powerful way through our diet and maybe even consider supplementation, like sometimes a question that pops up is, should we just be giving our kids a DK, D slash K um, supplementation to protect our teeth better? given um, we're so lacking in those um, those vitamins and or, you know, maybe even a multi-mineral um, situation or just a really good multi that kind of covers the modern child given soils aren't so good as they used to be and, and a few other things. You know, maybe it's a, a really big picture of like a change in agriculture and all sorts that have sort of semi-contributed to this issue. Yeah, it could be a play for sure. And, you know, mm. if you're not getting enough through the diet, I mean, obviously – diet diet's best but if you if you need an, a little extra help I, I don't really see that that would be a problem in fact it'd be beneficial for your for your teeth i would say but you know there's not too many studies out there that suggest that that's the that's the case but you know for supplement for supplementation but definitely worthwhile because we know that ade and k through diet's really important so I'd, you know if you're lacking I'd say load up. Yeah, yeah. And I had a great interview with uh, the nutritionist Georgia Hart, uh, Georgia Lenneman. Um, gosh, show number, ooh, I can't remember. But head back uh, and that really is about those old-fashioned superfoods that really bring all of that good stuff in because the K especially is what then transports all the minerals that we have in our diet to our teeth and bones so it's essential and so many of us aren't getting it because we just don't know where to look for it and where it's found um Mm. if you want to hit the gouda cheese if you can eat cheese that's the highest k containing cheese that exists and uh and then um if you're vegan or vegetarian you can hit the japanese natto for um like one tablespoon is your weekly dose of k done sorted so, awesome. um, and, and because it's pretty disgusting, just use a lot of lime juice. 
that's, that's yeah, right. what we've been recommended there. And it does work. It, it helps and just mix it through something. But, you know, we really can start to beef up our foods. We spend so much time just vacuously filling ourselves up with stuff that's not actually particularly nutrient um, dense, either on the mineral or vitamin front. So it's really important that we focus on that on the journey to doing some topical stuff as well. I really believe it. Mm. Um, now, something that was asked as a question on the enamel front is also about fluorosis. So can you just talk us through what fluorosis is um, and and how we tackle that one? Yeah, so fluorosis is like a mottling, a mottling of enamel. So it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to, to explain it without a picture. But um, I'll check a picture in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that'd be cool. But yeah, it's just um, basically a, a mottled kind of brownie stain on on teeth that mm-hmm. um from exposure to too much fluoride. So they actually used to call it. There's really, really, really high levels of f- fluoride naturally occurring in the water supply in Colorado. All right. So they actually used to call this thing Colorado brown stain. All right. Because they found that the local communities in certain areas in Colorado that were drinking all the natural spring water were just getting all these model, the model teeth. So, um, in order to to have that happen, you you you'd have to consume a fair bit of fluoride. Um, you know, you'd be using tablets and drinking water, and you'd be, you know using using toothpaste all all day every the day the whole shebang yeah the whole shebang and, and so, so can you treat it mm, once um, you have it look not not really there's the, that modeling's kind of hard to to get rid of um, but to be honest it's not even a thing like i can't even remember seeing it so um yeah, oh. it's not it's not something that comes through the door too often. Oh right. Well, there's this one person who's asked a question about it, so I feel bad that they they do have it. It is a thing for them. Um, and yeah, but I mean, also they can people can get mis like I'm not saying it isn't, but mm. also people can get misdiagnosed with something else. You know, right. So fl- like what? Like, oh, like, like even, the hypoplasia even, or something. Yeah, just hypoplasia or you know hypocalcifications, things mm. like that. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It's just... Just pretty rare. It's just rare, yeah. So best advice there is to sort of basically be going through what we were talking about before in terms of troubleshooting the hyperplasia issue. Yeah, just I think just getting it assessed mm-hmm. and then obviously in, in order to treat something, you actually have to specifically know what you're dealing with and so accurate diagnosis and then treating it accordingly so it may be just with you know things like tooth mousse or what have you mm. um, but yeah i mean it's kind of hard hard for me to say with some of these questions without seeing it of course yeah yeah okay and uh, i've got a question here where someone said that their five-year-old daughter has only ever used natural fluoride free toothpaste and she has mm-hmm. spots on her teeth that are translucent rather than white is this caused by the natural toothpaste? Um, and she's only ever had antibiotics once in her life. Her diet's excellent. Sounds like it's not caused by, but um, but possibly more around deficiency. Would that be right? Yeah, it could be. But also, um, you you'll tend to get translucent enamel at the what we call the incisal end, so the very end of the tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like grinding a lot, um, she might be, 
you know, thinning out her enamel because she's grinding. Um, there also may be some erosion at play. So a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, that react to certain foods, um, you know, can actually get some silent reflux. You know, about sixty percent of us at some point have some reflux, and so that can that stomach acid can actually come up into the mouth and actually thin the enamel and make it look quite translucent. Oh, right. So there's other things to look for beyond just, just um, you know, mineral content and things because there could be other other factors at play like, like I said, yeah, grinding and, and erosion even. Yeah, right. Okay, so that would be where you would really want to make sure you go and see a holistic dentist who's going to ask you, who's not just going to look into your teeth, clean your teeth, give you a filling, but actually ask you a whole bunch of lifestyle questions to get to root causes of things that they're seeing in your mouth. Yeah, I yeah. mean, a good a good thorough history always helps. Mm, absolutely. Um, and a nice controversial one to finish our enamel section. Uh, this lady has asked also about the enamel, which I really feel like we've given some great avenues to for people to research more and, and think about diet and think about um, various treatments. But she's asking not only about the um, tooth mousse, which we've covered, but is fluoride really necessary in the water? And I'm really keen to hear what you have to say about this, because obviously being a member of the Dental Association, being part of the conversation that continues to happen around this subject, um, and, you know, there are, seems to be as many countries that do as that don't. Mm. What what are you saying? What, in the research that you've done, what do you think? And And well, please, guys, because we live in a country that does fluoridate the water by law, it's it's not Lewis going against <laughs> the government by saying this, but we can all have opinions and um, and look at the research independently, critically think about it, and have an idea of what we believe. Mm, yeah, I mean, there are some studies out there that show that fluoride in the water helps to harden teeth, but there's also, you know, if you look at the the countries that do fluoridate and don't fluoridate, there's actually been a reduction in decay worldwide, and mm -hmm. I think. Part of that is the fact that, you know, people are, are aware of the importance of oral hygiene, visiting their dentist regularly for cleans, and then even, you know, the use of a topical fluoride, which is, you know, for the, for the vast majority of people, that's what they're using. And so, um, you know, do you, do you need it? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Um, I think that the trends in the countries that don't have it suggests that probably oral hygiene and diet is more at play. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the other thing that I'm not big on is that the, the informed consent issue. So like, for example, if I get a patient who comes to see me, they've consented to be there and have treatment done by me. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of people out there that haven't necessarily asked for fluoride in their toothpaste, uh, in their water supply, I should say. And, mm. um, and so that I don't really like. It's like if someone said, oh, well, we're, everyone's getting headaches, so we're going to put Panadol in the water, I'd be like, well, hang on. That's kind of like a bit of a, you know, one-size-fits-all approach and it may not be suitable for everyone. So it's a, it's, it's a very controversial topic. I think, you know, there's some people that are really big on it, other people that are somewhere in the middle and other people that – you know, are, are highly against it. And I think 
I think the main thing is that people need to know that it's decay is mainly a disease of diet. And mm. so if you're consuming Coca-Cola every day and you're having chips and snacks and you know, mainly carbohydrate, refined food, then I think, to be honest, a bit of fluoride in the water <laughs> is the least of your problems. Um, but, you know, if your diet's impeccable yeah. and you're brushing really well and you're regular with your, with your um, dental appointments and cleans, then I'd, you know, potentially that you're doing enough. Yeah, it's negligible anyway. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, now, I've got a few questions on like um, uh, sort of procedures that people can have, braces and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to kick mm. into those. And the first one is any thoughts on children having separators to make room for their teeth? Is that something we need to question or is it just the normal thing to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah, again, it's, it's sort of case by case. But I think that, you know, the reason why we expand teeth um, – is obviously to create space so that they can get a nice aesthetic smile, which is obviously important for self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So that's one, there's a mental aspect of health as well. So I think, you know, if that's a concern to the child or the parent and it bothers them, then, you know, looking to, to straighten a smile is perfectly reasonable treatment. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't also realise is that the size of your upper and lower jaw dictate the size of your upper airway as well. So kids with crowded teeth very young um, that can have these expanders to go through and widen their, their jaws actually will create more space for their tongue and therefore they'll breathe better. Mm. Uh, which is so we're literally preventing future snorers too. Yeah, look, mm -hmm. um, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And even things like sleep apnea and then sleep apnea can have flow-on effects to heart health, depression, anxiety, road accidents, you know, the whole thing. So um, people kind of are a little bit nonchalant when it comes to teeth, but it has such a huge impact. Um, you know, the size of jaw has such a huge impact on on the health of a child. And if you're breathing well while you're asleep, not just putting your head on the pillow, actually breathing well while you're asleep is two, two very different things there. Um, you know, for a child, they're going to get more growth hormone, they're going to do better in school, they're going to, you know, not have attention problems, etc. So, it can all stem from a wide jaw. So, um, look, the use of expanders in certain cases that in kids that need it is, you know, beyond just a, a nice-looking smile. Mm, yeah, great advice. Thank you. Um, next question is around Invisalign, speaking of nice-looking smiles. Mm -hmm. And they had an Invisalign done a few years ago. She's wondering if there are any negative effects from this treatment from metal retainers on her teeth now. So you're talking about the metal um, bars that are placed after Invisalign as a retention? It sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, look, there's been a little bit of a concern about the reactivity with like stainless steel wires placed on there mm -hmm. um, on the backs of your, your front teeth yeah, um, just to hold things in place. When you say um, reactivity, are you talking about saliva or EMFs or what? Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, just I'm actually not too sure about where people are going with it, but yeah, okay. I suspect it's saliva reacting with a metal and then swallowing, you know, we swallow 1,500 times a day. Ah, gotcha, yeah. And so I think people were concerned about 
you know, in the same way that they're concerned about mercury and amalgam fillings, they're yes. concerned about reactivity. Yeah, because with... it could be it could be nickel, it could be all sorts. Yeah. 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 So I mean, look, there are other options. You can ideally, if you've gone and spent nine or you know nine nine or ten thousand dollars on an Invisalign treatment or whatever you've been charged, mm. um, you know, the last thing you want to do is go through and have it all unravel. <laughs> but there are some other. Yeah. Um, there are some other um, options there. You, like we, for example, use a gold chain, which is a little less reactive. It's like pure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also go and do like a resin, sort of like a composite tooth-coloured bonding. Uh, oh, okay, gotcha. Is there a material that's preferred for these sorts of um, applications? Um, look, the vast majority of like dentists will use what's on there at the moment, stainless steel stuff. Yeah. Um, we tend to use like a gold wire or a or a clear clear wire, um, but it's not to say that we've never used stainless steel. Mm. Um, but yeah, the other option is to not wear a retainer, like a fixed retainer, but wear them at night time. So like your your clear ones that you would wear at night, so they're removable. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a little bit more risk of things unraveling. But again, the other the other thing that can help retention is to actually get to the underlying cause of the issue. So teeth crowd because the tongue isn't where it needs to be, which is at the roof of the mouth. Yeah. And that's the best orthodontic appliance we've ever had. Nature gave it to us. Yeah. We start mouth breathing, it drops to the lower jaw, and then we get this tooth crowding. Mm-hmm. And so you can do some exercises at home, which is like oral physiotherapy to actually retrain your tongue to be in the right position, retain, retrain yourself to swallow properly and all these sorts of things because they exert forces on teeth and make them move. So, mm-hmm. so it's like yeah, tongue PT. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 100%. Cool. But the problem is is that people, you know how bad people are with physiotherapy exercises. Oh, my gosh, yes. I don't think I've known anyone who's ever actually followed. Like, you know, you always hear people going, oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do the exercises, but. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to, to back people to do them all the time to maintain their teeth in, in, the, in the right position. Hmm. I'd probably lose sleep at night doing that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Okay, so uh, another one on sort of steel in mouths. This lovely lady has asked um, her daughter had stainless steel crowns from poorly formed molars yeah, and she'd like them out but she needs some backup as to why and doesn't Mm. have an access to a holistic dentist to kind of help her navigate this whole thing. I'm not too sure why she wants them out. I don't know what the the, the con or negative is here, but I'd love yeah. for you to talk to her question and see um, if there is a, a valid reason as to why they should come out and what that reason is. Yeah, so I think that the concern there, similar to the wire, is that you know people aren't overly keen on having metal in their mouth. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Because you know, again, they're bathing it in saliva and we're swallowing so much and is it reactive reactive with like warmer fluids and all those sorts of things. Um, look, it, the the stainless steel crown, you have to remember go back to basics, what are teeth there for? One is that they're there to break down food so we can get our nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other reason that some of the baby teeth, you know, are important. If, if the baby teeth we're talking about here are, 
are affected, we're trying to maintain them in the mouth for as long as possible to make sure that the jaw doesn't shrink. Gotcha. So if you if it if it's heavily 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 broken down tooth, and stainless steel a stainless steel crown is placed there for you know a year or two or what have you to maintain space and to give the child you know chewing function, mm-hmm. then I'd say that's not such a bad thing. Yeah. Again, this is kind of thinking more holistically. Like we're thinking about nutrition, we're thinking about space, and we know what space does for tongue tongue and breathing um like what like i mentioned there we obviously want to breathe you know well and we want to have wide jaws so if that helps those things then you know for the for the sake of a year or two or three while it's on if it's badly broken down then it's then it's you know i would say just maintain it Mm. Um, but again it's case by case so often they're placed a little bit too aggressively with some people Mm -hmm. and so they could have just gotten by with a with a big filling which isn't metal yeah yeah, and so it's hard. Again, it's hard for me to to say without seeing the child. But you know, if there was perfect, perfectly good reason to place it because it was really, really broken down, then you know, for the sake of a couple of years, it's probably not a bad thing. And then you've got to think about what that, what you're actually putting your child through to get those things off, or mm, to you know, okay. even take yeah. a tooth out. You know. Yeah, so I like your thinking on the. You got to think big picture and long game, and sometimes. You need a short-term gain for a long-term win. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's really tricky with these cases without me seeing the kid. Of and, course. And what he eats and or she eats and, you know, all those sorts of things, how they're sleeping, how they're breathing, and, and it's hard for me to, to say. But they're basically, in general terms, the pros and cons, and it's just a matter of kind of working out the best, best scenario there. Mm, great. Um, now, something else uh, on the topic of kids. Someone's asked, are fissure seals necessary in kids? Yeah, so some dentists love to put fissure seals basically into the deep grooves that sit on the biting surface of teeth. So they're not fillings. They just kind of flow material in to make make the decay risk lower because you're not, you, you basically don't have those deep grooves where plaque can accumulate. Okay. Um, so that's basically what a fissure seal is. So it's a bit of a preventative measure. Yeah, it's a pre- preventative measure basically to, if you think of a river running through a mountain, you basically freeze the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You freeze it so that it's more, more cleanable, if that makes sense. Um, so personally, I don't do fissure seals. And the reason being is that, some of the resin-based ones are actually BPA. They've got BPA in it, and that's a, that's released only in the first 24 hours, according to the studies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how true or likely that is. I'm not sure. Well, and the issue with BPA is that while it's released, I mean, it does tend to deposit in our fat tissues, um, and yeah. that is not released within 24 hours. That's really hard to get out. And yeah. for anyone who wants to learn a bit more about that, um, there's an incredible long-form article that Mother Jones put out a couple of years ago that I'll put in the show notes that explains the intergenerational issue around BPA, the hereditary issue around BPA, as well as um, 
the uh, interview I did with Professor Mark Cohen on the 10 Toxic Truths and he speaks to fat-soluble uh, endocrine disruption and how to get it out of our system. So there are, it's, it's just trickier, um, BPA. It's definitely not a 24-hour thing. So I guess what the studies are saying, there's no evidence of BPA remaining in the seals after 24 hours perhaps. Yeah, but where have they gone? Exactly, <laughs> right? It's in your yeah. mouth, so it's yeah. gone somewhere so, internal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, that that's one of the reasons why I don't do them. I don't want to expose children to, mm. to BPA. There are other filling materials that you can use. One's called a glass ionomer cement, which is a GIC, mm-hmm. and that's a fluoride-containing um, restoration. So you put them into the into the little grooves on the biting surface of the teeth and that it basically acts as a reservoir of fluoride. So when it reacts with saliva, it just releases fluoride into the teeth to to reduce the risk of decay. So I'm not – I would actually – personally, I would actually rather spend time with the parents or the children teaching them how to brush well Mm. um, rather than do fissure seals. But it's perfectly, you know, reasonable – you know, treatment option for, you know, if a dentist did it, you know, it's, you know, backed by by the evidence to mm. suggest that it does, if it's done well, yeah, to reduce some decay risk. But if it's not done well, stuff can get in underneath it. So I don't really like the whole BPA. Yeah, gosh, that's, so that's thing. like the junior version of the root canal issue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. yeah, they're, they're all very, very uh you know, controversial type mm. topics. But, yeah, I mean, I personally just think work on the diet, work on the brushing, regular with their attendance. I'm happy to sit and watch watch these grooves rather than just say, okay, we've put fissure seals on them so then we don't have to worry about the diet so much. I'd rather work on those things. Yeah, know? absolutely. We're trying to teach kids how to be good humans for their, their health, the planet's health. Like it's so funny how much we try to just um, – mitigate instead of actually teaching them what's what and and how to eat well like that that's um it's it's a big issue and it's yeah anyway i can talk about that subject for ages so we'll move on (laughs) um someone has asked they have a bite splint because they're a chronic grinder they've been told Mm -hmm. that the splint material is the only option seems very plasticky to her or him i can't remember um who asked this one and wondering how toxic it is um, that they would be grinding this uh, overnight and would, would it be entering their system. So she's been told she needs to wear it as she has a, ha, as I have had to have crowns to replace the teeth that I ground away so badly. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so again. Do like we need again, to get to the root cause of the grinding first and foremost here? Yeah, so I mean part of the, part of the reason why we grind so much is that it's actually been shown – not just to be, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're stressed, so that's why you're grinding. It's actually been shown to be related to sleep disordered breathing, so you may not be breathing well at night. So getting back to tongue position, tongue should be at the roof of the mouth, breathing through the nose. It's the way nature intended. Mm. Noses are for breathing, mouths are for feeding. Yeah. So if you open your mouth at night, your tongue can drop back into the airway. It can partially block the airway, which leaves you more susceptible to snoring and sleep apnea. Um, but you're also more likely to clench and grind your teeth. So as graphic as it sort of sounds, if someone was to grab my my neck now, my natural reaction would be to sort of really tense my jaw and try and get my tongue forward mm-hmm. to open my airway. So it's almost like a, 
a subtle form of that. Mm. Uh, and and so I would say that it'd be worthwhile if I if you if I was you know that patient's dentist, I would probably suggest there might be reason to do a sleep study to see if you're actually breathing well at night time. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then you know a, a night guard is perfectly reasonable because it actually opens up more space for your tongue. So if you imagine you've got a a night guard in between your teeth, there's going to be more room for your tongue because you're actually at a higher point. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes absolute um, sense. And what uh, about the material that these things are made from? Yeah, so they're a high-grade acrylic mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't necessarily want to be making them because – you know, they can be a little bit nasty as they're being made. But once they're set, um, they're, they're pretty safe. Obviously, there's going to be some sort of grinding going on and it's got to go somewhere. Um, but it's been shown to be, you know, not overly reactive. And then, again, we're talking about everything's a compromise, right? So the alternative is to what go through and crown every single one of your t- your teeth that, two and a half thousand dollars per tooth or two thousand dollars per tooth you know um and so everything's a compromise i would say that it's nothing to be overly concerned about i've i've worn a night guard for god 15 years now mm. with the high grade acrylic and i'm i'm still still going strong so yeah yeah cool. um, yeah I, I wouldn't be too concerned about the material i'd be more concerned about breaking teeth, what that's going to be doing to your jaw joint, potential for chronic pain, headaches, neck aches, jaw aches, quality of life. Yeah. You know? Think bigger picture on the grinding issue is what you're saying. Yeah, but I would also investigate the breathing potential. Yes, breathing issue. and I had a great um, uh, podcast, I think in the 30s somewhere, I'll put it in the show notes as well, with um, your fab uncle, Dr. Ron, my dentist, and we did an episode purely on sleep and it's just it just covers all of this stuff to actually figure out how we can become better sleepers, nose breathers again, and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so Uncle Uncle Ron loves his. Oh, loves he loves his it. Chat. Yep, he loves it. <laughs> he's got good. He's got great advice. Yeah, he does. Um, now, young kids who are going to need braces or similar. Is there any holistic early intervention or other options? Um, and someone else has asked about myobrace. Uh, so I think we can kind of put those two things in the one question here. Um, yep. I know you're a fan, but can you kind of just share why? And and if, I mean, you might not have been a dentist for long enough to see this yet, but if there are some kids that you've treated with myobrace or if there's literature around kids who've been treated with myobrace not going on to need braces, I think that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, so the traditional kind of model of orthodontic treatment or braces is to basically identify some sort of crowding or dysfunction or movement of teeth Mm -hmm. and then waiting till they're of a certain age, which is usually early teens, and then getting braces put on but no underlying cause for the crowding is actually addressed. Right. So... The important thing is to come in and see your dentist from who actually, you know, has has a bit of knowledge around this stuff um, is to, you know, come in early for early screening because there are some things that you can do while the – like kids are like 
you know, clay, you can just mold. Their bone is so movable that you mm. can like, if you change habits, it's just amazing what can happen. And so there are some things like those oral physiotherapy exercises that you can get the kids doing really young to actually help their swallowing tongue position. Oh, totally. There's actually a show. I feel like I've got all these shows to help um, with people who want to go deeper into these topics with Cole Clayton exactly on oral myology exercises to get, you know, the TikToks and and he actually coaches families and spends time with them on Skype, helping the kids get good at them. He gets some of the best results. I've, um, I've had uh, of all the shows I've done. That's been one of the, Oh my gosh, it changed my little son's life. Thank you so much. Just doing these mouth exercises. It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Colin knows his stuff. So I definitely recommend listening to that. Mm. Um, But yeah, we've got like this hidden health epidemic in society where we've got probably 80% of kids are mouth breathing. They walk around with a slack jaw and so their jaws open, their mouths open. They should be, you know, we're we're a generation of slouches. They're on iPhones, their posture's poor. I just set up. (laughs) Yeah, me too actually. Um, But uh, yeah, so I mean, people just think, oh, he's just like relaxing or chilled out and things. But, you know, we should be policing. It should be teeth lightly touching, lips together, sitting upright, tongue at the roof of the mouth. Parents need to be policing this stuff from the, you know, the youngest of the young. Mm. Um, I was actually, you know how you give that advice to like when they're asleep, just close their lips together. Um, yeah. And they won't wake up. I actually remember doing that with my newborn nephew at the hospital. I'm like, ah, he's mouth breathing, <laughs> closing yeah. his little lips. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just amazing how many kids we see doing that. Yeah, and then they and they also like get into really really bad swallowing habits mm-hmm. as a result of that as well. So like, I always analog like I always get kids to I actually close a kid the kid's mouth when they first come in mm-hmm. and just to see if they can breathe through their nose well yeah um, and you do an oxygen saturation test on their little finger to do that too yeah yeah um, so that's another good good way to see if they're you know they're good at breathing through their nose but you know if they start fighting me I know mm. that they're a chronic mouth breather you know mm-hmm. like you have one kid that is just a habitual mouth breather and then you close their mouth and they're actually fine. They've just gotten into a bad habit. And yeah. so they won't fight me as, at all when I close their lips with yeah. my fingers. And then the other, there's, there's other kids that will just go mm, 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 and just fight. Obviously, I'll let go. I'm not a, not a, mean, <laughs> not a mean person. What kind of man are you? Yeah. But, um, you know, that could be a sign that there's something, there's a structural reason. Gotcha. For it. You know, so like mouth taping our kids is not necessarily always going to be a good idea then. Well, not if there's a structural problem, like yeah. if they've got a really bad deviated septum or they've got like a, you know, fungal infection in their nasal sinuses or a polyp or something, mm. then it's not necessarily a great thing until you get the, the structural issue sorted with an ENT. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, what I'm try- the point of what I'm trying to say is that if you just don't address the underlying cause and you just wait for braces and then you put them in braces, 90% of orthodontic cases relapse to some extent and the reason being is that the underlying cause is an address so oral physiotherapy that myology stuff it's called mm-hmm. stuff, that, stuff that colin clayton's doing and then even using the myo brace which are removable sort of plates to wear over several years um yeah. and just sort of gradually change 
different sizes over time mm-hmm. that can actually get it's got a tongue trainer it's got a lip bumper to keep the lips out of the way so it stops you know putting pressure on teeth and that can get you really nice alignment but also get kids into really good swallowing and breathing habits through the use of the appliance so it's not it's not for everyone um you know you have to assess the child really well because if they're not determined and you don't have parents on board because mm-hmm. they're because they're removable it's you know if it's not in the mouth it's a waste of money yeah yeah gotcha but there are there are options yeah and um okay so i feel like that's that's quite a bit on that subject uh so i might move on to this next one which is a bit different um it's on implants So if despite seeing more than six different dentists, you choose not to get an implant, is there any drama in just leaving a gap? So one of the, one of the treatments or treatment options you always have to give a patient is no treatment Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, it's your mouth, it's your teeth. And if you don't feel comfortable doing a treatment, don't do it. Um, But so you're perfectly within your rights, even though you've gone and got, advice from a range of dentists to not do it the risk of not having an implant is that if you've got a gap if you imagine um teeth that are side by side and one's missing what can happen over time is that teeth can drift into Mm -hmm. that space and so that can change the way you're biting together and so you can get these little interferences and jaw bite discrepancies occurring over time so your bite might feel a bit off or funny, and you can get some headaches, neck aches, jaw aches. So it's always good to balance the bite where possible. Um, so with even contact around all teeth, from side to you know, from one side of the mouth to the other, you want them to meet evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people go go around with gaps in in teeth, and you know, we've got an amazing adaptive capacity, and so you don't necessarily need to to do anything. Um, the only thing is, is that over time they can drift inwards and you can actually lose your chance to put an implant in there Yeah. because they can sort of tip towards each other and then you need an, an adequate amount of space to put an implant in. So you may lose the chance if you wait too long. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, and remember that, you know, getting an implant in, you, you're going to get more chewing force. So you potentially get more nutrition. From ah, yes. Interesting. I was talking to coach Jake Carter a few shows ago um, and people have loved that episode. One of my favorite things was our the way we chew can contribute to whether or not we get food intolerances. And I just think that is nuts that that's starting to come out in the research. You know, eating too fast or um, not chewing things thoroughly enough, not therefore setting off all the beautiful enzymatic reactions that need to happen for us to digest well. Yeah, yeah. And then nuts. you can get un- then you can get undigested proteins causing all sorts of havoc. Mm, exactly. And people, people just we we rush our we rush our you know we hoof it down. We don't take time to be sort of grateful for our food, really taste it. It's just sort of like an inconvenience thing that it's <laughs> done yeah. on the run. And, yeah. You know, I'm a little bit guilty of that at work, etc. But you know, digestion starts in the mouth, and a lot of people are so focused on gut health, but mm. they're not paying enough attention to what happens in the mouth before it goes down into the gut. Mm. Okay, let's talk root canals. So um, I have, not me, but this is someone asking the question, I have a root canal which I know has caused some of my health issues. 
what is the best way to get it removed to ensure all the nastiness is removed? And is it okay to just leave a gap? Here's another gap question. Um, Or is it important to get an implant or denture? Okay, so we won't cover the implant denture part because I feel like we've just talked about that. But let's talk root canal. Mm. What is the research um, around the risk of root canal and some of the negative potential consequences? And what would you recommend for this lady to get it removed? Um, okay, so first thing, just quickly on the denture, the mm-hmm. denture doesn't produce the same amount of force as an implant. So, oh, okay. So you'll actually, it actually just sits on the on the gum, and mm-hmm. as a result, you can't get create the same amount of force through a tooth. Okay, as in like for chewing. Yeah, for chewing. So gotcha. you'll get better better chewing forces with an implant as opposed to a denture. Cool. Um, with the root canal, mm-hmm. um, look, there's some been some negative press out there around root canals because it's true that you can never 100% sterile, you know, sterilize, sterilize. (laughs) That's the word I'm looking for. It's Friday. Um, (laughs) You can never completely sterilize a tooth to, you know, a hundred, hundred percent. And so people are concerned about the thought of leaving sort of necrotic dead tissue in their, in the roots of their teeth. And so that just sounds lovely. Yeah, it's. (laughs) I I love my job. Um, Yeah, but uh, basically, what happens is that there's just to go back to some dental 101. You've got enamel on the outside. You've got dentine on the inside of the tooth, the second layer, and then you've got a nerve that sits there. If you crack or traumatize, or there's a deep, deep bit of decay, your nerve can die off. And instead of having a healthy blood supply in the nerve, it dies off and it's just gangrenous kind of necrotic tissue, right? Mm. So the idea of a root canal is to take the nerve tissue out, flush it with medicine, and then fill it back in so you can keep your tooth, okay? So it's true that we can't get that 100% sterile, um, but it's case by case. So if it's a really poorly done root canal, and there's residual infection behind, then, you know, probably better to either redo it with an endodontic specialist who does it under a microscope and does it really well, or if you're concerned about it, take the tooth out. And um, this it's, it's a funny one because 100% sterility, this idea that you can get something 100% sterile is just kind of not not really possible with anything in life. You know, if you look at... If you check our skin at the moment, we've probably got so many bugs on our skin, you know, that's not sterile, but mm. we, we don't implode. And so we've got an adaptive capacity. And if you've got a really well done root canal and you've got a really healthy immune system, as in you don't have like cancer or a really bad autoimmune condition and, you know, the, the root canal's done well, then I'm pretty comfortable with root canal. Okay. But, but if you've got you, – because remember, if you keep teeth, you will break down food. Yeah. And then you'll get your nutrition and you'll balance your bite and you're less likely to get headaches, neck aches and jaw aches from jaw imbalances without mm. having teeth there. And so but, – uh, But like what she's saying, it sounds like she just got a dodgy one, right? Yeah. So if she, got a do- if she has a dodgy one, she wants it out. Yeah. Again, taking it out, we can never guarantee that it's 100% – sterile in the bone as well Mm -hmm. but again your your body has an adaptive capacity in order to deal with that it's like you know you cut yourself it gets a bit infected 
over time your body just deals with it you know if your immune system it's a similar sort of idea but yeah you got to make sure that you take the tooth out really well making sure that all the all the roots are out and then you got to make sure that you're actually cleaning that socket really well so removing the the periodontal ligament which is the ligament that joins the tooth root to the bone and then you got to make sure that you're really it's really well flushed out you know plenty of plenty of saline and um making sure it's really really clean so actually when i take a tooth out usually i spend more time cleaning the socket than i do taking the tooth out wow yeah and it sounds like um based on the risks of not doing that that it's really important to do yeah so i mean look there's there's studies out there that say a an a, a chronic infection at the end of a root a lot of people will just sit sit like that you know and don't have a root canal because they don't want to have a root canal, but mm-hmm. they've left the infection as is. Now that's oh, okay. that's really bad because it's um, been shown to increase your risk of heart attacks and heart disease, etc. Mm. So, well, that is, people... that for me is one of the most powerful examples of the rest of your body's health. Sometimes, often starting in the mouth. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And you know, teeth, teeth and gums. You know, they've got a blood supply that communicates with the rest of your body. Yeah. So, like, if you take gum disease, for example, they're now seeing that the plaque in underneath the gums is traveling through the bloodstream and and getting into the heart. And the same plaque, you know, in biopsies and things, there's the same plaque found in you know gum disease in the gums traveling through and lodging in people's hearts. So, it's all connected. And so, people that are really dogmatic about anti-root canal that come in with a chronic infection would rather let it sit there Mm. they're actually doing themselves a disservice but also if you don't finish the root canal all Mm -hmm. three stages then that's actually been shown to increase your cardiac risk as well so um if you're going to start it do it well and do it with someone that knows what they're doing and finish it is Mm -hmm. the message if you don't want it in there take it out and make sure it's cleaned out really well and the socket's really clean and then with the implant side of things we discussed that earlier yeah yeah cool um the next lady has said they've got two false teeth to put in one post or a bridge it's to replace a very old permanent bridge um she's popped in brackets maryland bridge for a small false tooth next to one of the front teeth the front tooth it's fixed to also needs to go unfortunately oh poor thing um anyhow would love to know if there are any low tox options and she's also allergic to stainless steel and she hadn't thought about that until she actually read a comment in the thread where everybody was asking their questions so um so how would you tackle this one okay so i'm just it's quite a big one (laughs) i'm trying to to find this question so i can read it um okay yeah i need uh, to um yeah so it sounds like to me that i feel like we need a dear lewis column in the blog and once a month you can answer a couple of these there's so many it's nuts i'd love to i'd love people to actually like if if we did that to send a photo or send yes oh my god what a great idea yeah okay cool stay um, tuned guys yeah, because photos and things would um, would help. But, um, yeah, so it sounds like a bridge could be a good option, mm-hmm. um, a new bridge, and we use really 
biocompatible materials that don't have any stainless steel and this will give you plenty of chewing force it'll balance your bite it looks really good it looks like as if it's natural um, and so there's a bridge option and then the other option would be to do implants there's no stainless steel in implants um, and so an implant could be an option or you can just have a denture but that's acrylic and usually left for 80 year olds mm. um, and so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that but um, yeah I think we're using very biocompatible porcelains or zirconia bridges and even on top of an, an implant um, we use those materials as well and so I wouldn't be concerned about any toxicity coming from them. Okay cool. Um, now uh, there's one more question in this section and I feel like we just need to do a part two really. Um, because I think I've got about another 20 questions. Isn't that nuts? And we've been going for nearly an hour. So, but I will ask this one. There were quite a few of us in the, la in the last e-course wondering about the effect of metal wires behind the teeth to keep the teeth in place after braces. Ah, this is interesting because we've kind of been talking about this, but they've added in. Um, mm. What are the long-term, short-term effects of the glue and the metal that can be mitigated? Is there a better solution? Um, and due to the huge amount of people who've undergone teeth straightening, it'd be really great to, to kind of find out what the lowest tox teeth straightening strategy is based on your experience and what you like to do in practice. Yeah, so the, the, the glue, if you, if you call it that, um, the, it, that sticks the metal to the tooth to hold it in place, mm -hmm. That doesn't have any. Usually, doesn't have any BPA. Yeah. So uh, that's usually the main issue that people have around um, some of the resin-based glues and filling materials. Mm -hmm. um, so depending on what system is used, because there's all these different types of bonding systems. It's like you know, if you think of shoe brands like Nike, Adidas, this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing for dental bonding. <laughs> Um, materials so glues there's like 50 different brands so they've all got different wow. ingredients um, and so you know in our practice at least which we, we always try and research the lowest tox obviously everything's a compromise but um, nothing's better than your own teeth but you know sometimes we have to make do but yeah we tend to use one that's you know without the BPA but yeah the glue metal interface I wouldn't be concerned about that it's more what the glue would be doing in isolation and what the metal would be doing in isolation. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so really that's just – is. can we ask for transparency from our dentists about what glues they use and, and sort of – would it would like a proactive thing to get safer stuff being used to sort of challenge them on that and ask them to find something safer? Yeah, I mean you <sighs> – it's your, like I said, you know, it's your mouth, it's your health, and you'll probably get a lot of dentists that are a little bit taken aback because mm. you know, it's not really something that they would encounter, and you you might be met with a little bit of resistance. Um, but you know, it keeps us on our toes, and you know, in our practice, we're constantly researching the the lowest tox options. There's no such thing as you know as no tox. You know, we're talking about low tox when it mm. comes to this stuff. yeah. Um, but you know, for example, we just over the last two years have been using a ceramic based composite rather than a, a resin based 
purely resin-based composite for yeah, two-colored yeah. materials, and we got that from Germany, and it's got no BPA and all that sort of stuff in it. So we we stay on top of it, and it's it's a reasonable thing to ask. It's just depending on your dentist's personality, it'll either be shunned as you know, you leave me alone, you're crazy, or it'll mm. force them to be a bit more proactive. And I think this is where it comes down to. You just said it before. It's our mouth. We're the customer. And we get to ask questions if we want to. And it, we, we can't be afraid to feel like choosing our, our health practitioners is an auditioning process. And if they're not on the same page as you and they're not even trying to um, listen to your concerns and do something that's a bit more low-tox, then maybe that's not your health professional. Maybe you've got to find someone else. Yeah, agreed. And I think, like, you know, it's really important to be asking asking these questions and but it also, from our point of view, like from a practitioner talking to the public, it's also there has to be a level of understanding about what is actually available to us on the market. Yes. Because at the end of the day, you know, we get some patients that say, I don't want root canal, I don't want implants, I don't want dentures, but I don't want a gap. Mm. And then you're like, well, <laughs> hang on. Scratch your like, head. Okay. And then you're like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, magically make a tooth appear like you have to be practical you know you have to be practical and you have to meet you have to meet at a point you know um mm. because where we try and do the best and try and do the low tox thing as best we can probably more so than than most practices at our at our practice being a, a bit more holistic minded but you know you you just have these patients that are just completely unreasonable as well, which makes it very tough because we're trying to provide a solution. Yeah, which at the end of the day, I mean, nothing is black and white, right? And I always use the example in my talks, you know, you eat amazing organic food at home where you're in control and you can celebrate that and feel fabulous, but you're not going to go to your mate's barbecue and say, I'm sorry, those are those carrots over there organic. Uh, that's it. I'm not eating. I'm leaving. You know, like there's, a, there's an aspect to all of this journey of um, leading a low-tox life that we are in the real world and there are things that we might want that might not be ideal. Um, but if we think of the big picture of all the awesome things we're doing, a couple of little things in the mix that um, might not be um, dogmatically perfect still give us what we essentially want mm. and need in the case of a gap or whatever. And, and that's okay. And to... To not feel ashamed that you had to use something that was slightly less low-tox than you wanted or, you know, because sometimes things don't exist. But the very fact that we start having these conversations means we create markets that then mean green chemists work harder to make safer stuff for us. So it's, it's worth still having the conversation in the first place. Completely agree. Mm. Awesome, Lewis. Thank you so much for this first instalment of Q&As. I feel like we've covered so much. And in the next one, we're going to cover fillings, cavities in a bit more detail, preventative oral health in a bit more detail, and troubleshooting a bunch of community miscellaneous um, questions that came through, everything from geographic spots to chromogenic bacteria. So <laughs> I know everyone just can't wait for that one. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're so, I mean, our teeth are so important to us. They're, they're the gateway for our smile, which, as you had brought up um, in today's chat, which I loved, was, was part of our self-esteem as well. So we do need to feel empowered by the discussions we have with the dental health professionals we choose. Mm. And, um, and I really appreciate your time taking the time to answer so many of these questions. And I look forward to the next instalment. Thanks for having me on. It's been good fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written you can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name I make everything super easy Lotox Life so you can find it really really simply Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.